1: This is the one where Adam tries to decide whether to buy an electric car. In the age of Tesla, is it the right choice? Where did the choice even come from? It's device and virtue.
2: Hello, welcome back to Device and Virtue, <laughs> where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. We're coming to you from Chicago. I'm Adam, and I'm Chris. Hey, Adam. Today we're talking about maybe the most
1: ubiquitous, <laughs> invisible technology that you and I have not talked about: gasoline.
2: <laughs> <laughs> gasoline. Except now everyone's talking about it because oh man, my gosh, it's expensive. The the prices are sky high. They're coming down a little bit, but they've they've hit record highs this summer.
1: You know how sometimes I go out to the Chicago suburbs to visit you so we can record? Yes. And then sometimes you come to the city so we yes. can record. Yes. And one of my secrets is that every time I go to your house, I always buy gas <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's like a dollar cheaper oh, out yeah. there. Absolutely. Uh, in the city in Chicago, gas this summer has been, I think I've seen like six fifty dollars
2: a yeah, gallon, right. which is like the highest I've ever seen in my lifetime. Nationally, it peaked just over $5. But yeah, here in Chicago, it was way higher than that. Even in the suburbs, it was way higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. I got out of Chicagoland altogether, out of Illinois altogether just yesterday, and I paid less than $4, which was crazy. Oh,
1: really? Yeah. You did a little road trip across the state lines. Yeah. And of course, taxes change, but it's the big things, right? It's like the Mm -hmm. cost of crude oil from what I've read and like the oil futures and all the economic things that I think we're going to try to talk about. <laughs> some,
2: we'll def- if we're talking about oil futures,
1: I'm going to be lost. Yeah, to not- be lost with me. I was saying to you right before we hit record, I love technologies that we constantly use but barely notice. Mm-hmm. Like car keys is one of my favorite examples. <laughs> Of where everyone has these little metal etchings in their pocket on a little loop. Right, right. And they're weird. Right. Like, they're actually sort of weird. <laughs> like, when you sort of deconstruct it and think, oh, I can imagine a world maybe where this isn't how this is. Right. This isn't how this works. And gasoline and gas stations in every corner, Marathon, Amoco, and I'm going to say BP. I feel like there's also Sit, like- Go. But there's also gas stations, like, in different states that people yeah. are like, oh, this Bucky's, is...
2: <laughs> Casey's.
1: <laughs> or, you know, we have listeners in the UK and other places, and I have no idea what the names of gas stations are there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember from your
2: Durham days? I think they have BP there because it's British Petroleum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: Can we imagine a world where this wasn't like that? Where right? you don't... Pull in and get our petrol stations, right? Okay. <laughs> right? Right, right. Can we imagine a world where it didn't form like this or it didn't look like this? We just don't think about it. You're talking about an
2: alternate history.
1: An alternate universe kind of world.
2: Right. <laughs> uh, a multiverse where 100 years ago, 120 years ago, we did something completely different. Like... Choose electric cars instead of gasoline-powered vehicles.
1: So today I want to talk all about this electric car stuff because that actually has been big and there's new legislation and people have been going back to it because gas is so stinking high. (laughs) I actually own a hybrid car. I own an old... Toyota Camry. That was a 2007. It was a hybrid, right? And I was actually sort of excited when I got it. Yeah. I was, when I did get it, it was like 2010. And actually gas was going, had been high recently. I remember <laughs> this, so like not even close uh, to now. Right. But I remember thinking like, man, I'm going to be the envy when gas goes back up. And mm. so this feels like a mm. smart decision. Mm. I really liked that car. But now we're talking about the full plug-in cars, yeah. except I didn't realize that there was an option for
2: electric cars back in what, 1900s? Right. Back when gasoline powered engines were emerging as the main form of human transportation, there was also this kind of alternate thread, kind of the alternate ending where electric vehicles were developed and could have taken us in a different direction altogether, but didn't. You know, we were calling them the horseless carriages back then, of Mm. course, because we always call new
1: technologies using sort of the frame of the old technology. And I mean, Wikipedia was talking about like in 1896, there was one called the Armstrong horseless carriage. This is interesting. It was the earliest hybrid vehicle. It had an electric motor with a battery and a gasoline engine
2: together, like a hybrid. 1896. (laughs)
1: Yes. Wow. (laughs) I think I read some of the history that said early on people were experimenting without the horse and batteries were one of the things. But the technology wasn't that good on batteries, right? right? Right. And so it didn't go far enough. I guess by the time we got to like the Ford Model T and stuff, engines were just better at the time. They could go faster. They were lighter. I was reading a Smithsonian <laughs> website talking about why we chose gasoline cars, you know, mm-hmm. over electrics. People got really into camping with their car, which is really weird. So oh, they what would are like, talking about? People still do that. No, no. But I'm talking about like in the 20s, there's like this photo that I feel like we should put on our website of a woman who has her, the engine on the car is creating heat and she's like cooking
2: hot dogs oh. and steaks. On she, top. She's she's made the engine into a multi-purpose tool.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's sort of fun though, to go back and think about this stuff. Like even gasoline, when you're reading about this, it was an accidental discovery. They were mm. doing oil processing and they were throwing out the gasoline at first. Oh, really? Yeah. Because they were like, why do we even need this stuff? It's not useful. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Some guy in the 1890s figured out that you could use gas as as a valuable fuel and so by 1920s you start getting all these cars around. Do you remember leaded gasoline?
2: No. I. It's all unleaded and I don't even know what leaded would mean.
1: (laughs) I feel like you were old
2: enough to know this or you know car things more than I do. Well, that might be true but I have no context for what leaded gasoline means. So like I have a memory when I was a kid of us pulling up at the gas stations and I'd ask you unleaded or or
1: leaded. Oh, really? Yeah. So I guess my age is coming. I guess (laughs) so. It, It turns out I started adding lead to gas because early engines would backfire all the time. It's that thing, I don't know, do you understand internal combustion engines? I don't totally but it's trying to do a controlled explosion in a chamber, right. and the gas would explode when it shouldn't explode, and when they added lead, it would like help control it. It just made oh, it smoother. It made cars not like boom, 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 boom. Okay. I figured, so they added that. Then they realized lead is really poisonous, and so <laughs> we shouldn't do this. So they had to make a law in the 70s to take lead out. By the way, I just read that even though the US did that in the 70s, countries in the world did not finish that to wait for it last year really wow <laughs> yes, like, 50 years later <laughs> yeah that we've been slowly removing leaded gasoline from the world wow the un or the equivalent of the un for whatever that was announced that actually on some third world countries they just shut down the last leaded gas situation incredible right it's really easy to think the way you just thought unleaded was always been that way but of course it hasn't right and it's really easy to sort of imagine that there was no other thing like electric but right then came that movie who killed the electric car in 2006, which was all about how an electric car did exist in the late
2: 90s and then huh. went away mysteriously and what happened. I feel like we should talk about that. So, yes. And then I think we need to just think about our electric vehicles, all that they're being promised to be in terms of being good for the environment, being a good response to climate change. Are they the solution to all the oil and gas environmental issues that we're faced with today. Yeah. What you really want to know is, should
1: you buy an electric car the next, when you go buy
2: a car, right? You know, <laughs> I, I think I'll probably buy an, a new car within the next year. Yeah. And you, yeah, you, should I buy a hybrid? Should I buy an electric vehicle? Is this going to help me sleep better at night? Maybe I can help you. I mean, I will miss your old scooty little blue. What is it? A bl- it's a blue Acura. Your, yeah. your
1: scooty little blue Acura. <laughs> scooty. But maybe we should think about first how we are not as free as we think to choose the kind of tech we
2: want. Okay, Chris, what do you mean we're not as free as we think we are? Because I, for one, am an American where <laughs> I have freedom and I use all of it as much as possible. So how can you tell me I don't have freedom because I, I do, obviously. <laughs>
1: so gasoline in cars, as you know, is a great example of the way a technology infrastructure affects Maybe we can call it like an individual technology. Okay. So we have an entire network of gas stations and gasoline and truckers that move gasoline from the refineries to the, I guess it's finishing stations. I learned when reading about gas. And that's where they blend gas for like winter blends or summer blends. And actually some states have different rules. They blend it for that state. And then they move it to the final gas station, dump it in that tank, and then you get it into your car. Well, that whole system... is. It's a massive system, multiple companies involved, all this transportation involved. You go to the dealer, and your options are to buy cars that use gas. Exactly. Because that's our system. Right. That's the infrastructure system that we've already talked about. There could be electric, or maybe there's other ways of doing it. But that infrastructure sort of defines, this is the technology that's available to you. Mm -hmm. You can choose between red and blue, SUV (laughs) and tiny, but they all use gas. Okay. Right. But yeah. well, we have a lot of technologies like this. And when you think about it, cell phones, our iPhones, all are amazing technology on their own. They have touchscreens. They've got cool batteries. They've got great software. But they don't really work if they're not connected. And they connect to these cell networks, of okay. course, right? And that okay. cell net or, or Wi-Fi or really both. And so the combination mm-hmm. of these two is the infrastructure that our entire system of texting each other and searching for something at Target while we're on the fly Works on okay, and if it wasn't, it'd just be like that PDA that I was doing graffiti on in 1994 Mm -hmm. to take notes because I didn't connect to anything. Right, right? it was just like a little electronic assistant. They called it PDA, being
2: personal digital device (laughs) assistant, not public display of affection. (laughs) Thanks for that clarification. But you know, right? Examples like this. Yeah, you didn't mention oil pipelines that are underground crisscrossing most of the united states giant pipes that are running across state lines like pipes in your house they're literally moving oil yeah. from one state to another state and then also the whole interstate system right and those are two sort of intersecting infrastructures you were mentioning the smartphone if i want to get on the highway i can't walk on the highway Yeah, literally, I think you can get arrested or cited or whatever (laughs) for walking on the highway. Right. Right. If I want to access the highway, I have to have a car to access the highway in the same way that if I want to access the Internet, I have to have a computer or a smartphone to access the Internet. Okay. right. And now we have cars that are not. Using the oil and gas but they're using battery power to do it instead but they're still using the same end infrastructure of interstate highways. Oh, that's interesting. So it's just one side of this that's being kind of shifted around with a new form of energy. It's really good that you bring that up because the interstate infrastructure, yeah, that's huge.
1: In fact, I was reading about... When the car got going, it was incredibly fast how much we decided as a nation that we're like, oh, we need, we need highways. And so like, like in 1918, I didn't even realize it was this early. There was a suggested national highway plan and they sort of oh, did that. And then of course we hear about the interstates later after World War one. They wind up asking General Pershing, the famous general <laughs> you know okay uh, from the war from the war okay to create a map it's called the Pershing map that that linked to highways in the u.s i was trying to figure out how this worked but in 1919 the military sent an expedition across the u.s with military vehicles to figure out if they could cross the whole u.s like for defense this was in 1919 we're sort of coming off of world war one and we're like can we do this turns out they can't there's places where bridges weren't good or the yeah. roads weren't very wide so they're like we've got to fix this guess who was on that trip by the way famous person who wind up affecting the whole infrastructure of roads
2: later? I don't know if you saw my notes. <laughs> I, I didn't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess. Ike Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower was 20, really? was 28 years old. No kidding.
1: He was a young officer in his 20s and he was on this expedition. I, I did not see
2: it. I promise. Good job.
1: <laughs> Later, he becomes the president of the United States who authorizes,
2: of course, the whole interstate system. Right. And about three miles south of where you live is the Eisenhower Expressway 100%. here in Chicago. And we call it the Eisenhower or the... Eisenhower. Yeah. yeah, we
1: do. You know, I don't even think about that. We do. We do. <laughs> I'll even say old school Chicago people that refer to the interstates. Gosh, what is the Number of the Eisenhower 290 I 290, but I
2: call it the Eisenhower or yeah. the Kennedy or the Dan Ryan. We right. have names for the expressways in the city, yeah. Right, this links back. You mentioned 1918. The Lincoln Highway is sort of a hobby interest of mine. Wait, it, didn't you and your dad do this? We, we did Route 66.
1: Oh, yeah, but the
2: Lincoln Highway was the first transcontinental, it went from New York City from Times Square to. To San Francisco, but a lot of it was not paved. Yeah. But that was when they first started paving roads. Yeah. Actually, just west of Chicago is the first seedling mile they paved one mile of concrete road so people could experience for the first time driving on concrete.
1: No, it was like a test run. <laughs> yeah. And and they oh, did cool. these all
2: all yeah. along the Lincoln Highway from coast to coast so people could experience it. It's still there. It's out in the middle of corn between towns. But people before that were driving through mud. I mean they didn't really have gravel roads, all of this. And then it goes on, nineteen eighteen, nineteen nineteen they're they're figuring out how do you get across the country How do you move military vehicles from state to state. Right. These infrastructure the road infrastructure winds up creating sort of reversing into the cars
1: like again our choices when we go to the dealer I have a totally different example I think we can think in our minds of like what are examples of technologies that have an infrastructure around them. Right. I have one when I did high school in Japan which you know we lived in the military lived in Japan and I remember going into as a high school student going into a music store for the first time and it was in the era of you know in between tapes and CDs, like we mostly CDs, but you could actually get cassette tapes still. <laughs> and when I went into the store, there weren't tapes or CDs. Hmm. Every section of music in this you know very modern Japanese music store with people browsing and like sort of signs for the artists and things. Okay. Every section. Had little plastic; they look like floppy disks, sort of like the old fla- old old floppy disks, like right. three and a half inch right, right. disks. But they were a little bit smaller than that. A lot of them were transparent, and the music you took this little disc and like went click into a little slot on a player. Do you remember these? They were called MDs, uh-uh. mini disks, uh-uh. and they were like an optical, like sort of CD, but built into a hard case. Oh, And it would click into a system. Well, they were super popular in Japan. In fact lots of japanese folks for years like i think they like out in like 1991 or something use these all the time for the music but huh. they all have players they look like little discman, walkman but they didn't skip like a discman. If you oh, remember, interesting! because they didn't shake around like that because like discs were more like records right and they had right. to balance and they right. get out of balance if right. you right. we, we remember this on the portable things these could click in they had skip protection they worked really well in the u.s you didn't have this choice you couldn't walk into a music store and buy an MD because there weren't MD players, hmm. right? Hmm. People didn't own these things. Hmm. In Japan, everyone owned MD players, so you went in and bought your music in an MD. That's another example of how a technology, the infrastructure, the MD
2: players, influences our choices when we walk into the store, the individual technology. Right, right. Interesting. And I mean, even just electricity, right? Lights. Oh, you gosh, know not a good one. Uh, yeah, yeah. We've got power lines running into our homes to power everything and... It's just invisible. We don't really think about it. But that's really some of the infrastructure that is enabling this shift now to electric vehicles. Well, yeah. So my question is, is looking back at these old technologies, is where do these
1: infrastructures come from? Mm-hmm. Right? And I think they come from usually either governments... Or corporations. Okay. And usually some combination, right? right. And so this gets into the even like you know, who would picks winners and losers with technology and does technology sort of always have its own way? But in the cases of like the interstates, well, gosh, the US government said we're gonna build these huge highways. Right. Right. In the case of MDs, Sony, I think Sony owned that technology. I don't know why MDs actually became the big technology in Japan, but that tech company built that. In the case of Facebook, which winds up becoming a platform later, right? a tech company says we're gonna build this and then all this stuff is going to get built on top of it. But it usually is not an individual consumer that makes right. that infrastructure a choice.
2: Well, and we talked about the metaverse last season and Facebook has this same mindset now of saying, we want to create all of the infrastructure necessary to build the metaverse Absolutely. as this way to interact and way to connect with people. And we'll need a device to do that. We'll need a device to access their infrastructure But they're trying to make themselves as indispensable as the interstate system, the electrical grid, the internet network, and make it impossible for us to opt out, which goes back to your comment about how much freedom do we have to buy into a network, buy into an infrastructure, and participate in it, and how much is we just have to to get on board and participate. So do we individually can we choose things in the middle of the infrastructure
1: and then who creates the infrastructures. And then like, I, obviously we're gonna have to talk about can you do right or wrong within these infrastructures, yeah. but, but let's just hit the current change in infrastructure right now. That's coming about. That's going to bring about the electric car.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting A Bounty Hunter's Journey to Faith, Hope, and Redemption Written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing the kind that comes after painful trauma grieve breathe receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more
1: so adam if your next car is going to be an electric car a lot of things are going to have to change in terms of infrastructure right but it's happening yeah
2: Yeah. I mean, I do love road trips. I would love to drive the Lincoln Highway. I've driven parts of it. I've done Route 66. But yeah, the prospect of doing kind of a cross-country road trip in an electric vehicle sounds pretty prohibitive right now with the infrastructure the way it is. I mean, the ability to charge your vehicle is, I think, the biggest hurdle right now. I read one story of a reporter who she was she was she
1: driving from New Orleans to Chicago. Yeah, right. And like they were trying to find chargers, and at one point the <laughs> right. car got down to it. You have one mile <laughs> left, like charge now, and the thing was good. and they wound up having to park like in the, I guess there are slow chargers and then slightly faster chargers yes. and then right. really rapid chargers. Right. But the slow chargers take overnight to charge. Right. They like wind up using a slow charger in the middle of like there's a chain leak fence and a broken <laughs> right, alley and right. no
2: restaurants nearby. Right. And it just feels dangerous dangerous. Yeah. You're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's level one, level two, level three kind of chargers in a typical home. You're going to have 120 volts coming through your outlets Okay, and you can plug your car into that, but it's going to take eight, 12 hours for it to charge. Okay. Yeah. So it's like charging uh, your phone overnight or something. Yeah. Some people are installing 240 volt outlets in their garage. Tesla superchargers are 480 volts so even more oh, so like a lot more powerful yeah and yeah. they say you can charge your car in about a half hour or up to 80 oh. percent in about okay. a half hour okay but yeah i mean so far in the u.s there's only about ninety three thousand public chargers that sounds like a lot it sounds like a lot right but president biden i actually uh, see them in the chicago like
1: there are, yeah. there are i mean some places you see parking lots like target i think has a couple parking spots with some
2: Yeah. And and that's one of the interesting things is like you don't really need a gas. You don't have to go to a gas station necessarily to charge your car. You could be in a parking lot because the electricity infrastructure is all over. And so you can kind of plug in anywhere to some degree if if they've made it available. Right. But yeah, 93,000 today. Yeah. President Biden's infrastructure plan has planned for 500,000 stations. Oh, okay. And he's earmarked about $5 billion over the next five years for that. But McKinsey & Company estimates that we actually need something like 1.2 million chargers. Wow. Versus this, like we have 90,000 now. We have 90,000. So we're talking like <laughs> yeah, less ten t- than 10, 10 times, percent, yeah, right. right of what we need. And so, yeah, this prospect of can I... Make that cross country road trip in an electric vehicle. I can't just fill up in 15 minutes, you know, at a gas station. I'm probably going to have to wait at least 30 minutes, if not longer, if I can't find a supercharging station. Yeah. I mean, it's starting to
1: look really interesting. I know the demand for electric vehicles is way up. GM announced that their entire line of cars are going to be electric. That's by twenty thirty or something, and they're releasing like a Ford F one hundred and fifty version of an electric truck.
2: Yes, the Lightning
1: F one hundred and fifty. The Lightning F one hundred and fifty. So we're getting that. What makes sense to me is that you know those are niches until we get all those charging stations. Yeah, we need that infrastructure and the way that technology works with our economy. One company can't do that. Even Tesla, who's like the, the total hot name in, in electric cars and yep. it's been around and it's become really normalized now. Like I see at least Teslas like every day yeah, driving absolutely. on Chicago streets. But the chargers, they're still, what you're saying is not nearly enough chargers for someone to really drive around the US and their electric guitar. and their electric (laughs) guitar. I just said it. That's the the fourth time I've accidentally tripped on electric guitar versus electric car. Uh. (laughs) Um, There are not nearly enough electric guitars for all of Metallica to be playing. uh, (laughs) We're going to need the infrastructure. And I think companies can't do this on their own. Like Government, just like the interstates or other things, really sort of has to create this. And this is what they're doing with the infrastructure bill. Right. I mean, I, I, I guess the question is, is how does this affect your and I's theories about whether technologies affect history or history affects technology? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. what we're saying is the government has to create these infrastructures like the roads or all the electronics charging network so that we can have these electric cars. Yeah. Is that the, really the way it's worked? I, I don't know. How does this <laughs> affect all our theories about the printing press and everything else?
2: Yeah. Well, even just in my research, I was surprised to learn how many electric vehicles there are out there. I mean, I would say there's over 100 different models. Yeah, sure. But the one everyone's paying attention to is Tesla, right? Yeah, right. And it's really Tesla that has pushed on this issue to drive demand for electric vehicles in the U.S. especially. And that really has been the will of Elon Musk and His board of directors, maybe. They've really driven we're talking about the car itself and to some degree the infrastructure well the like the Tesla supercharger
1: network they had to start building because they had to have a way for people to drive on
2: road trips. They have only about fourteen hundred superchargers across the country and another 7,000 charger ports. So oh, okay. not these superchargers. I see. But, and that's just like a drop in the bucket when you think about yeah, 1.2 million, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But they have had to create a bit of the infrastructure as sort of a minimum viable product to then drive this change. Now the government is picking it up, Interesting, right? Interesting, right. Okay, so you're saying it starts with maybe a crazy inventor. Sure. <laughs> a billionaire. Yeah. You know,
1: so... <laughs> well, it became, but it became a billionaire... Partly, partly based because on of this. the
2: investment in his technology. Right. But he's invested to make this happen. And so there is, you have to have a huge financial outlay and and then the government responds will. and helps create
1: the things that everyone needs to share like roads or like the shared things right. we right. don't have private roads like right. we where everyone runs on their you know it's facebook roads over here and apple's roads <laughs> over here like because i'd be massively
2: inefficient and wouldn't work so we right. need some sort of central arbiter of creating a network right but he's replaced the oil and gas infrastructure with his own infrastructure yeah but he hasn't replaced the electrical grid, just some of the uh, kind of end user requirements sure, for that grid. Sure, right? sure.
1: It just leads me to think, even in technology history, how do some technologies get picked up really quickly yeah. and some go really slowly? I do a lot of communication theory and tech, and so we talk about these things. But really, there's a lot of tech professors that study it from the point of view of economics and government because of this infrastructure question. right? right? And they right. say this is the leading force in how new technologies came about. I was looking at Norway yeah. Do you know in Norway, 83% of cars are pure electric cars. 83%. Wow. And another 10% are hybrid. So less than 10% of cars in Norway even run on gasoline anymore, wow. which wow. is like crazy. And I watched this whole report of them sort of going through and what was different there. There are a lot of Nissan Leafs in Norway. Apparently, It's <laughs> okay. the most common though. The ambassador was on the report going, she goes, you see Nissan, they're the most common car around here. Uh, they're just uh-huh. everywhere. Some of it probably was public culture and perception. People right. sort of went for it. It's a smaller country, but the government also put in other policies. Like one reason that I can't have electric car, we'll get to your decision in a second, but I live in a condo building that has 40 condos in it. okay, And there's no garage. Oh. So I can't put my own personal charger there. And there's really not a spot right. for me to install a charger, right? Well, right. in Norway, they have a rule called the right to charge law, Okay. So for renters, so you have a right to charge your car. So apparently like the, oh, the landlord doesn't have to pay for it. But if you tell your landlord you want to install a charger, like on the side of the building or oh. whatever it is, like they have to try to accommodate that. So, I mean, government policies, not only building right. the chargers, but also the policies can really help accelerate this. And that's how Norway in a smaller little closed country environment has accelerated a technology, I think.
2: Well, and the U.S. has a $5,000 tax credit if you buy an electric vehicle. Okay. And you don't get any sort of tax credit for driving a gasoline car. Right. So they're incentivizing... Electric vehicles, as well, from that policy standpoint. I went back and watched the old documentary, Who Killed the Electric Car? like in 2006,
1: like I was saying. And okay. it was about the late 90s. And it was about these EV1 cars. And it was really interesting because these cars were really fast. They had people saying, like, these were not wimpy cars. People thought of electric cars like little wimpy golf carts. You just sort of press on the gas and it sort of limps there. But actually, these things could accelerate like the Dickens. And they were in California. And the reason why they did it is because California passed a law saying a certain small percentage of cars need to be electric and so gm put out this ev one they leased it they did it only on leases at first you know so you couldn't actually buy it you put it on a car lease and apparently people loved them there was a waiting list to get these cars but the guy that made the documentary named chris Payne. He says that three years later, GM recalled all the leases, said there's no option to buy the car, Hmm. took away all the electric cars, and went and shredded the cars. No kidding. Like, shredded them. And, like, I guess they have car shredders. I don't, that's like, there's a spot in the documentary where it jumps to this huge metal contraption and, like, cars are coming out like little metal fragments. (laughs) And they were shredding new cars. Really? Somehow they shredded the electric car. That's crazy. <laughs> and, and and the question of the documentary was like, why? And his charge was that GM felt like it wouldn't make enough money. That the oil and gas was one big industry. And then the second thing is that car manufacturers have a lot invested in car repair. Electric cars didn't have carburetors. They didn't have combustion engines. And these things yeah. break down and they're going to be repaired later. And he said the, the car industry's economic model is a lot like inkjet printers. When you buy an inkjet printer, it's really cheap, but they expect you to keep buying ink for like <laughs> the life of the printer. And they make a lot of money off that ink right, later. Right. The car manufacturers make a lot of money off of their car repair places. Mm. He says the electric cars weren't going to do that either. And so he accuses the car company of being the one that had enough power to remove the technology. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, and then they somehow changed the government of California's mind and they rescinded the requirement for a percentage of electric cars. Really? Yeah. Interesting. All based on the company. And now the company responds and says, no, people just didn't want the car. And he says, not true. And so like who, it was a chicken and egg thing. Did this company stop the technology or do we really actually have a choice was there a demand that was squashed by these big
2: powerful forces
1: or was there never really a demand in the first place it's a really good interesting study
2: on how whether technologies pop up because we want them or not huh so essentially you're saying even if i had the will to buy an electric vehicle there could be forces at play that would limit my freedom to even be able to choose an electric vehicle but today That choice is re-emerging.
1: Yeah. It's resurrecting as it were. (laughs) The electric car seems to be
2: coming back from the dead, which I guess
1: we shouldn't make Jesus jokes about the electric car, (laughs) but definitely. Right. Hmm. Uh, And some, why is that? Maybe this is, Oh, maybe this is why, like I'm just talking about these government forces versus the camp that says technological determinists that say technology plays a leading role in history. Hmm maybe they're just zoomed out really far because maybe when we look back at this whole scenario, that was in the late 90s, college 2022. Maybe in 200 years when they study this, they'll be like, no, look, the electric car was going to make it out of there. It just mm. took it just went through some little bumps yeah. like for twenty years. And yeah. governments have small ways to push things around and companies have small ways to push things around. But if the technology exists, it's going to emerge. Yeah. Anyway. Which is now it's emerging, right? So now the technological determinist could say, see, look, the technology is there, it's coming back out.
2: Yeah. Maybe Elon Musk is just really mad at GM for shredding all those <laughs> EV ones. Maybe he <laughs> drove one, loved it, and is today saying, nope, we're going to make it happen.
1: So I guess the question is, now this is going to be available and there's a lot of options for you. Are you going to get one?
2: Well, I don't think we're out of the woods yet because I think in reality, there are other environmental changes, so to speak, Uh uh (laughs) uh that aren't about... The natural environment, but more about the social environment. Or the, yeah, or the technological environment. Yes. Yes. For instance, remember how we were talking recently about Marshall McLuhan and cars? Yes, What of episode course. was that?
1: That was... He called the car, I don't know, I forgot. <laughs> I think it was the
2: it was the Google...
1: <laughs> oh, our Google our, our Google Auto, okay. autocomplete. Yeah. Was, McLuhan called the car um, the mechanical bride, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Right. And he said the car did dramatic things to society, like it broke up... Work and home life. Yeah. Broke up family life actually right. was his actual phrase Ooh. where he's like, cause you work over here, but then you come home over here and that changed the way families worked and how right. kids were raised, mm. you know, and he had some very strong things to say about this infrastructure. You know, the roads were asphalt jungles. He called them, you know, mm. and he said that cars created shopping malls. Right. He's like, there. It's everybody's a, favorite with a massive parking lot. You, he said something like, you feel like an alien pedestrian until you walk inside, oh, right? Like, we do like walking yeah. through these sort of gross cement environments <laughs> until we get into this the world that's supposedly made for the person. So, he really saw the effects of cars that right. were probably unintentional by the car manufacturer,
2: right? Well, and I've claimed that cars created the mega church, correct? Which is essentially yes. just like a mall. In a yeah, lot of ways, right? right, right where, where consumer selection
1: really moved into, I want to choose a church that feels right for me and has teal lighting or something. Right. So, <laughs> so what other effects, unintentional environmental but not natural environmental effects, would happen if we went to an electric car? I was trying to think about this. Like, yeah. I'm trying to be Marshall McLuhan in my head, thinking about <laughs> these these amazing things. And by the way, he says, of course, that he sees cars when he's riding in the 60s as already on the way out. He says they are destined to be replaced by electronic successors, yeah. which is funny because I do not think he meant an electric car. I think he meant things like he saw that we we're going to use TVs to talk to each other mm, and FaceTime mm. and all the stuff we were talking about, <laughs> which is crazy. So what would change of an electric car? Well, I don't know. Think about this with me. I mean, the most obvious things we think, well, there's a lot less pollution coming from the tailpipe of a car. So yeah. maybe yeah. Um, cities reduce pollution, maybe that changes quality of life in some areas in yeah. terms of where people want to live. I mean, in Chicago, there's some nice neighborhoods with big trees, but there's also industrial areas with Oof. trucks, you yeah. know, like in in diesel and in people don't want to live there. We don't mix industrial and residential. Right. Well, if a lot of our vehicles are actually not emitting any fumes, it might not bother us to move industrial and residential together yeah, in some zones, sure. which actually could change city planning, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But we can think about more things, noise. Electric huh. cars run silently yeah, or nearly silently, except yeah.
2: for like air rush noise. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, what would it be like for the Eisenhower to have. All electric Total silence. vehicles going back and forth. You and would just they, hear this whirring. <laughs> and they just installed a
1: huge new section near the University of Illinois, Chicago, downtown, and they put in a huge cement wall on one side of it that was designed to keep some sound away from the right, university. Right. Sound barriers. Sound barriers. Sure. They, and we see these all
2: over the US near interstates. Yeah. Like these become unnecessary. Yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting? I mean, those sound barriers are often just ugly. Or people have decided that they want to graffiti them. They become pallets for that. Land value that suddenly was like,
1: no one wants to live... You want to live maybe close to a major transportation thing, but right. not like right next to the grossness. And you don't want to be able to hear it. Correct. Then now suddenly that, that doesn't matter. That's right. not a factor. How does right. that change the way cities or mm-hmm. things are designed? I mean, mm-hmm. that's dramatic. Mm-hmm. If you think about if there's no noise, yeah. all cities would sound completely different. That would be crazy. So we got that charging stations are interesting and you have talked about this before you could put them sort of anywhere well right. gas stations right now are places that you know business people started adding on convenience stores they're like because you're going to be there for 10 minutes might as well get you to buy a candy bar right or maybe a mcdonald's right but let's just picture that charging things are the way they are now right. meaning you've got to charge like i don't know you've got to take 30, 30 minutes 30 or minutes or more. is the super fast charger maybe it's two hours of the slow charger well what if we suddenly start having these gathering points around retail, restaurants, cafes, shops, like destinations for chargers. So we don't create just a cement corner slab with a pull-in thing and a thing that wipes your window. We actually create like Starbucks all have chargers and you go to the Starbucks, there's networks of cafes and we wind up being in cafes with strangers who are traveling cross country Mm -hmm. a lot because of course you're charging your car at that cafe. Imagine if Starbucks changed its business model to become charging stations, plus cafes and they'd be one of the most, or Dunkin' Donuts, yeah, one yeah, of the most yeah. obvious places to change their model. There's an interest where you're mm. going to kill 30 minutes there. Mm. That changes the mm. way community and people flow.
2: It also makes me wonder, you know, if you're traveling across country and you don't want to wait, are there suppliers that have charged vehicles, and you can just swap one out for the other? Let's swap one out. They, and they, I have I seen things know. on battery swapping. Yeah. and future ideas of like, and they we do that with electric bikes right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe buy a subscription service instead. It's kind of like renting a vehicle, but you maybe swap out at every. Well, you probably don't want to swap out the vehicle because I don't, I don't know you spilled a coke in there.
1: But <laughs> yeah, so I mean, these kind of things matter, right? Like when we change this sort of
2: reimagining
1: the reimagining. What does it look like that? all the corners on those intersections don't have the gas stations anymore. Yeah. What do those become? Maybe some of those are the charging cafes, but I don't think it's one-to-one. Right. And so we use our corners differently, maybe. Right. And the, these are the things that are very hard, right? Like we're doing it and we yeah. can sort of get there, what but they're very if, hard to reach. And yeah, Marshall McLuhan, get, I think that's one of the reasons why people loved him is because he said things that 80 years on seemed to be remarkably accurate of what it looked like if we all meant to electric cars. But yeah. the biggest thing... And you and I were talking about this right before we started recording. Is all those things could change with electric cars, but the electric car still looks a lot like a gasoline car. Yeah, it it swaps a battery in for the engine, and we have the no noise, no pollution. But it still has the same sort of mode in mindset of a car. So there's still parking lots. Yeah. For instance, I've got to still drop my car somewhere. I mean, this is almost like back to the horseless carriage we were talking about before when we had horses pulling carts and they're like, oh, now we have ones without the horses. But the original, the very first models all sort of looked a lot like carriages. Right, right. Like Because we, it's hard for us to imagine something different. Yep. In fact... <laughs> I found this, by the way. I need to show you this. Wired Magazine had a write up on this. This inventor in 1899 made a <laughs> horseless carriage <laughs> that had a fake wooden horse stuck to the front. <laughs> here's the drawing and it looks like because he was afraid that other horses on the road would get scared (laughs) of something that was moving without without a horse horse. so he literally filed a patent for a fake wooden head of a horse like a taxidermy horse head and then he put a gas tank in it what So the horse had double of the gas tank. I mean, that's clever. <laughs> and, <laughs> Wired Magazine listed this as one of the failed attempts uh, at an early <laughs> technology. <time. laughs> but like, what kind of electric car things are we doing with right. that kind of thing? Uh, I'll put this on the website so you can go look at this oh, picture. Man. It's so great. But <laughs> in some ways, we have trouble imagining the future. When we have this battery technology for electric cars, we might not want to use it just in cars. We might want to use it in like electric trains or electric bicycles right. or electric buses or other ways that move people from just taking the transportation like electric bicycles are we, we should do a whole nother episode time my time that are poised are new during the pandemic their demand has skyrocketed mm-hmm. same technology but micro-sized and yeah. maybe we don't need to move a two-ton vehicle every time we need to move one single
2: person right and right and that kind of transformative mind imagination might be where it actually goes well and i've been noticing in my Instagram feed, I've been getting advertisements for home battery packs that you install in your garage and you have a solar charging system that charges these large batteries, but they're actually Tesla batteries. I didn't realize why these were coming up until I was researching for this episode. Car batteries that are no longer being used for cars, are being used to store solar power. So they're being recycled, essentially. They still have about 80% of their original capacity. Well in Tesla the vehicle. of course has the solar panel industry too. Okay. Yeah. And the, so they've they've combined this. So there's a there's a secondary market now for Tesla batteries. Interesting, yes. Because their battery technology is better than everyone's. Yeah. They invested in the core technology. And, and yeah. so suddenly you might have solar power powering your home and a battery either powering your house or it's just like having an external charger for your phone, right? And you carry along the external charger and connect your phone to it when you need to. Love that thing. Used it in the park yesterday when there was no plug nearby. Right? Yeah. So maybe everything is changing.
1: I mean, we're supposed to be thinking about the rights and wrongs, or mm. the wrongs and rights. I guess the question is, when we live in these huge systems, in these infrastructure systems, yeah, <laughs> these things that are bigger than us, can we
2: make ethical choices? Chris, if I'm going to decide to buy an electric vehicle, perhaps one of the most important questions that I even wanted to know the answer to was... Is how cool will you look in it? Oh, really cool.
0: <laughs> I mean,
2: naturally. <laughs> I mean, you should see my, my scooty Acura. In
1: those sunglasses.
2: <laughs> the, the question for me is, okay, what's it going to cost me, quote unquote, at the pump? At the charger. At the charging station, (laughs) right? I don't know what they call them. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The charging station. At the pump, yes. Uh, Yeah. See, our metaphors are going to have to change. Right, right. So I did put a spreadsheet together to try and figure this out because that's what I would do. Of course you did. (laughs) But it's a little bit apples and oranges, right? Because you're like, okay, I have to think what's the battery's capacity Mm -hmm. versus the fuel tank's capacity. And obviously... All different cars have different size tanks, blah, blah, blah. And then like I had to think, okay, what's the cost of the electricity versus the cost of the gas and how far is that going to take me? Right. And so the range. Right. So I'm going to try and break it down and keep it simple. And I found that the cost for a full charge, say you charge it at home, the average cost that you're going to pay, this is in kilowatt hours. Don't get bogged down there. You're going to pay about $0.15 cents per kilowatt hour. Okay, interesting. And it's going to end up costing, a full charge is going to end up costing you about nine fifty. Okay. At $0.15. Cents. Now, okay. a supercharger is going to be about double that, about $0.30. Cents. Why? Oh, because uh, it's cause just because of the fasterness. Yeah, because of the speed, the convenience, oh. and the cost to deliver it at these stations. Oh, I see. Versus at your home. Because okay. you can charge at home, Right. But you're going to spend somewhere between nine fifty and like fifteen bucks. Okay, right. And I remember when I was reading that article of that
1: reporter driving New Orleans, she was saying it was costing her about fifteen bucks, sure, a pop, right. to
2: charge, right, yeah, which sounded way cheap compared to last time I filled up my car. It sounds way cheap, right? Yeah. And so on average, that's going to take you about two hundred miles okay. on a charge. Okay. And oh, so well, that's
1: shorter. That's a lot shorter. It, it depends. Yeah. So
2: it kind of breaks down to about five cents per mile. You're gonna pay five cents per mile okay, okay. driving an electric vehicle I see. on the charge, et cetera. But you have to factor in, it's gonna take you longer to charge, et cetera, et cetera. So then I was looking at, okay, the cost of gasoline peaked on my birthday this summer mm. in June, it <laughs> peaked at five oh one okay in the US, national average. Obviously, Chicago paid six fifty. Yeah, et cetera, yeah, yeah. So you were gonna pay probably for a tank of gas about sixty dollars versus yeah. 10 to 15. Yeah, it sounds much more right. Right? And on average, that's going to take you about 290 miles, so about 300 miles about 50% okay, further. I see. So you're going to you're going to pay more, but it's also going to take you farther, but it's going to end up per mile, it was 5 cents per mile for the electric vehicle. It's going to be about 20 cents per mile. Okay. So four times so as four much. four times as much. Yeah. It'll take you farther. You'll wait less time to to fill up your tank, but it's going right. to require about twenty cents a mile. So just by comparison, for it to be equal between gas and electric, you would need to be paying a dollar eleven for gas. Oh, good job, Mr. Excel or whatever you did here.
1: That's really helpful to know.
2: Yeah, fascinating, right? But the likelihood of us going back to a dollar eleven—I mean, that sounds like a dream. No, yeah, it sounds right. Like when I was a kid or something. Right, right. <laughs> We'll post a link to this spreadsheet and you can play around with it and look, <laughs> at, play around with the numbers and, and see how we got Adam to it. I mean, that see Adam's
1: spreadsheet. Come see my spreadsheet. I mean, that gets a lot of play.
2: <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. You can punch in your car's fuel capacity and what you pay at the pump today and compare it to the national average. But that helps me really think, okay, at the pump, quote unquote, it's going to cost me a lot less. Now, electric vehicles today, the price tag... Up front is a lot higher. The average price of an electric vehicle is sixty six thousand. Oh gosh. Versus about forty six thousand for a new vehicle, both a new of which have gone vehicle. up dramatically of current inflation. Right, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. So, but over time, are you going to recoup that twenty grand in difference over the course of six years, which is the average, you know, for owning a new car? Maybe. And there's other factors that go into that, but that kind of starts to give you a sense of how you need to think about. Is this even worth it from just like a pocketbook perspective? Very helpful. But I think there's also another scale that we need to evaluate this from. Not just at the pump, but thinking about it from that sort of supply chain perspective. Yeah. You know, we've developed this fairly efficient means of transporting oil and gas and getting it where it needs to go, refineries, then gas stations, etc., Obviously there's lots of politics and geopolitics around extracting oil and lots of environmental concerns that go into that. And we've pitched electric vehicles as this sort of green alternative. There is some truth to that. We think about it from what's coming out of the tailpipe, you know? And the Yeah, electric cars have zero emissions. Right. Yeah. But we also have to look at the fact that the minerals that are going into batteries are six times greater than the minerals that need to go into a gasoline vehicle. The extraction involved in mining these oftentimes rare earth minerals are also bound up in geopolitics. Hmm. You know, lithium ion batteries require all sorts of rare materials like. Nickel, lithium, cobalt, copper, and then rare earth metals that I can't even pronounce like neodymium and dysprosium. Yes, right. I mean, all of these things, right? I I read those in notes. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you just glaze over. And, you know, mining lithium is actually fairly easy. (laughs) He's like, I do it in my backyard. (laughs) But it primarily involves, there's a place called the Lithium Triangle, which includes Chile, Argentina, and Bolivia. Oh, wow. And 60% of all lithium is mined from water there actually
1: what okay yeah. there are these
2: lithium rich deposits and so those countries have a big investment but the people there also have a big investment and they're being a bit disenfranchised in the process they're already water poor areas of those countries and so the people that are living there are being disenfranchised by these mining companies that are wanting to take lithium from the water, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Cobalt, sixty percent of cobalt is mined from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah, I've heard you that. Know, I've been there, and there's tons of human rights violations that happen in that country for all sorts of reasons. Afghanistan, Russia, China are all mineral rich for these sorts of things, but the geopolitics of that is complicated. And so just the work of building these supply chains and mining the earth for these metals in order to develop. But at this point, you know, we're talking it's 5% of the total car market in the U.S. and it's Electric ex- cars? Oh, 5%. Electric cars, yeah, yeah. But now it's expected to skyrocket. Right. And what's interesting is those lithium-ion batteries are also powering our smartphones. Yeah. And the challenges of powering both... And having enough batteries for both over the long term. They say by 2100, there's going to be a shortage of lithium and these other metals in order to even supply that sort of battery well, and, power.
1: And even in the short term, I've heard global expansion, even if the U.S., for instance, in yeah. Europe, adopt electric cars. First, third world countries have not even gone to
2: the 5% level. right? And so the global demand at that point will skyrocket as well. It'll be incredibly problematic. And so while it might be a savings for us in the short term in our wallets, the cost to the environment and the cost and power structures as they change within the geopolitical arena is going to be a question that we have to kind of consider and that we have to think about as we're purchasing our next car. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Hopefully by now people are starting to recognize some of the ethical issues that come up with electric vehicles and the larger infrastructure questions. You know, for me, I kind of see three or four things. The first one that I have obviously touched on is environmental care aspect. Sure. And this is an issue that... This is the one that everyone thinks about. Right. And says. it's not just what's coming out of the tailpipe, but what's going into the manufacturing of the vehicle. Yeah. On, yeah. So it's both sides. And we're curious about the human cost for that yeah. and the justice involved there and all yeah. those things. Yeah. I know Jonathan Moo talks about creation care and has a book out about that. So that would be one place I would point people. But yeah, the human rights violations is a huge Mm -hmm. element that was the second thing i was thinking about there's maybe more regulation around Oil and gas today, and how that's being extracted, and so maybe from a human rights perspective, that's actually better regulated. But I don't actually I totally though, know. Yeah, right. My understanding from the lithium battery supply side, there are five big players right now. Only one of them has a published human rights policy, and the other okay. four really don't. Okay. Ooh. You know those sorts of regulations and violations. I mean, there are people tracking those violations. I looked at some of those statistics. I mean, there's violations all over the place. And a secondary aspect, that's maybe even just treatment of people that are mining the materials and not necessarily the impact of the people impacted living in those areas. So yeah, the human rights. And then I think there's this bigger question of how we're complicit in these large-scale operations in these infrastructures. You know, if I buy an electric vehicle to what degree am i complicit in those systems those injustices i don't i don't really have an answer to that and i don't have a clear sense of a theological perspective on our involvement in large scale systems
1: yet yeah, i think this is an age old tension for believers in the gospels one of the things that my mind goes to is jesus who's asked who should we pay taxes to right yeah And, you know, he famously holds up a coin and has Caesar's head on it. And Mm he says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God's what's God's, which is a deft answer because everyone has to decide for themselves. You know, the answer is like God owns everything. (laughs) Right. But you had a tension there between people living in a huge system. Right. They're living in the empire. Right. They're living in Rome and they couldn't control the infrastructure. I mean, Rome has its own technology, right? Right. Their roads were huge. Their communication was huge, but also their oppression was huge and they are oppressing the people of God and they're a vassal state. And you sort of have your Sadducees who are like, well, we're in it. We just got to like live faithfully in it. Right. and so they become part of the government this kind of thing they and they sort of make money from that they're sort of the more they're the wealthier ones you have the Pharisees and then the Essenes you know we know these things that the ones are like we're living purely and separately from right. the Roman world and Jesus sort of actually comes up in that he addresses mostly the Pharisees and then you have the Essenes where like we gotta fight back against this but Peter is part of that you know he has a sword we think but they both are sort of in opposition to the system and they're like how do we live faithfully in this system Right. and one is going to, we're going to live private ethical lives and pray for Jesus to come back and, or pray, for, I'm sorry, pray for the Messiah to come. And that's the Pharisees. The Essenes are like, we got to fight back against this injustice. yeah And like the Maccabees of old, that was a couple hundred years before that, which mm-hmm. had fought back against their oppressors. And then you sort of have the Sadducees are like, we're in this system. We just got to live faithfully in it. Well, I think the church has always had that tension as well and yeah. I'm, those were government systems but I'm thinking about the technology systems like yeah. what if the oil and gas system is actually a hugely unjust system that's destroying the earth right or in we in the in the inner and we've been living in that. The problem is, they become really ubiquitous. They become right. really invisible. You always right. have a prophetic voice somewhere mm-hmm. that says, "This is bad. You need <laughs> to be able to see this. You're, this is so invisible. Do you not see the gas station on every corner? Right. Do you not see the people that have mm. not seen Yahweh? Mm-hmm. And so those prophetic voices are really important. But I think how we act on those has been a real challenge.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God, what is God's.
2: The Pharisees and the Sadducees are inheriting a kind of Babylonian captivity theology of exile and sort of reinterpreting it through their Roman empire lens. I think John in his revelation is doing much the same thing in thinking, in kind of melding the Babylonian empire and the Roman empire and talking about, being in exile in the empire. And, you know, we have examples like Daniel and Esther living within their respective empires as people who are faithful to Yahweh and trying to live faithfully, trying to act within the power structures, but also faithfully with the power that they have, whatever that is. Esther takes big risks with the little bit of power she has. Daniel Daniel. also takes big risks. Nehemiah is another one who takes risks and says, yeah. hey, I'm the cupbearer to the king, right. but I'm going to take a risk and use what little power I have to speak to the king. And so, and they don't burn it all down, right? But they do. They work within their titles or their system, but also there are like
1: key points of God-led resistance. Yeah, yeah. And those feel more epic to us. They feel more sure. like there's a movie camera moving yeah. around it. But still, there are questions about how the individual mm-hmm.
2: faithful Christian lives in a system of technology. Yeah, and even Paul, you mentioned the Roman roads. Paul's using the Roman roads that are developed to move military in the same way that the interstate system in the US was used to move the military like he decides to use it to move the gospel and in using the letter system actually to move yeah. the, and like to read the gospel. Yeah. And so there's there is a way in which Christians are complicit in the power structures that are available to them but they they are disrupting those systems in the ways that allow them to stay faithful to God and to the gospel. So I think, Adam, I don't know if you should buy an electric car as I really sign,
1: need an answer as a sign of Nehemiah like protest <laughs> or, or I guess not, uh, as a sign of like Daniel like protest right. or not buy one as a sign of like right. protest right. what I do know is that you only will have certain choices and those choices yeah. will be partly let out for you by technological infrastructure mm. whether it's the gasoline system or the electric system and somehow you're going to have to pray faithfully in that so take all the weight of that theology and talk to your car dealer <laughs> <laughs> okay adam it's that time again time for vice or virtue oh are you ready do you have one yep (laughs) this is very similar to the technology we've been talking about but it's much
2: smaller remote control cars (laughs) which was my first electric car oh yes (laughs) oh man i had i had this i had this really cool one it was called a trax tracks with two x's oh, yeah. and yeah I can see the and,
1: neon colors oh already. man <laughs> it was
2: it was awesome i think it was actually like like purple strangely Ooh. or maybe, Girl it color. <laughs> maybe it was gray i'm bad with colors that's a joke but it had, it had two like tank like tracks on either side it was like a sports car but instead of being a sports car it had these two tank track
1: what are those oh wow called? like tre- treads or treads. i don't know yeah, like yeah yeah
2: like and could it s- roll up on things yeah, I mean, it would just—it was great, and it was fast. And man, I made jumps for it, and yeah, <laughs> man, honestly, like there's still parts of me that is like, I want one of those again. And the ones that exist today just aren't that great. I don't. It's I,
1: like one of like not, these days, I don't yeah, make these the cool days, toys. They just
2: don't make them like they used to. <laughs> I mean, but yes, it brought me hours of joy when I was a kid. So it's definitely a virtue. <laughs> so my dad bought me. I remember this bought me a red like
1: Ferrari remote control and it went powered on one nine volt battery. Yep. yep. (laughs) Maybe two. A oh, one nine volt battery in the remote, you know, you have the, you had the remote with like two joysticks yeah, left to yeah, yeah. right and like, and then a big telescoping antenna that yeah. went up. Oh, absolutely. But then I, I feel like in the car, maybe it was one nine volt in the transmitter and one nine volt in the car, but it had little headlights that lit up. Oh, when it turned on. Yeah.
2: yeah. Like they were like, <laughs> that's fantastic. It was
1: so cool. It could not go over anything. Its wheels were tiny, small, <laughs> had like no ground clearance. Right. Right. But if you got it on a really flat surface, it could like fly. Right. You could go really fast. Oh, man. And. Of course, I promptly, like, ran it into something, you know? Of course, of course. (laughs) Because I didn't know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: you're learning on those little joysticks things. The batteries, I remember the batteries, now that you're mentioning it, like, these, like, nine-volt batteries that, like... You could drive it for like six minutes and then it had to charge for like four hours. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That was true. That was was the worst. And I was just like, why is this my life? So it's like an EV. (laughs) It's like an electric vehicle. And now we're, now we want to get inside (laughs) remote control cars. Well, to be fair, we were all imagining ourselves inside the car anyway, when we were driving around as kids.
1: And so for that reason, because it silently seduced us into being complicit into a technological system we weren't aware of oh i can't call it a vice it's just too i loved it too much i'll call it a virtue <laughs>
2: <laughs> maybe they were like long lead preparing us for the electric vehicle revolution that we're in today no, they're preparing me for electric joan which i also want
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay well you'll have to let us know what kind of car you buy yes okay in a future episode and let us know what you think at deviceandvirtue.com or on instagram or
2: twitter and join us on patreon